Well, we are continuing on in our series um, uh, called the, the Greatest Stories Ever Told. I think this is like week 10 or 11. I don't even know anymore. And so um, this week, we are going to be looking at the book of Jeremiah and some of the things that Jeremiah said. And uh, Jeremiah was a prophet, right? You guys remember, a prophet is a spokesperson for God. And sometimes they would give a, a verbal message and they would speak forth God's word. Uh, sometimes it would be more prophetic. It would be more foretelling. Sometimes um, they would demonstrate God's message to people around them. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a guy named Hosea who married a woman who would become, uh, not only become unfaithful to him, but um, she would become a prostitute, kind of symbolizing how Israel, God's people, had prostituted themselves um, with foreign gods and these idols and things like that. Um, he marries her and so on and so forth. And we learned about that a couple of weeks ago. Jeremiah was a guy um, who lived. And he lived about four, he, his ministry, or the time that he was a prophet, was about 40 years. And lots of things go, you know, went on. Sometimes he would speak forth the message, and we'll talk about that this morning. Other times that he would actually um, physically illustrate God's message to people. Um, one time in particular, he, God says, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to take um, a yoke. Now, this is a double yoke, so I don't have a single yoke yet. So, He's, God's like, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to put a yoke around yourself, and I want you to walk around. It, would be, it was a wooden yoke like this, and he's like, Jeremiah, I want you to walk around, and people are going to ask you what's going on, and you're going to say, hey, this is symbolizing, you know, the, the oppression and that we're going to be under the yoke or the leadership of a foreign country. And so he would walk around, and, he would, and people would say, hey, Jeremiah, what's your yoke for? You get it? You know, anyway, so he would do that, and so, you know, he would walk around, and he would you know, have his yoke on his head like this, right? And so he did things like that. Another time, he walked around, and God's like, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to walk around in your underwear. And I didn't think that'd be appropriate for me to do that one. So, you know, <laughs> he said, Jeremiah, I want you to walk around in your underwear. Then I want you to go by this river and take off your underwear and hide it in a rock, you know. And it's going to symbolize, you know, the intimacy my people used to have with me and now how they have kind of soiled that relationship. You know, again, they, they've ruined that relationship because they've chased all these other gods and things like that. And so this would go on and on. And one of the times, you know, Jeremiah is, a, like, if you don't, like, if you struggle with reading the Old Testament, like, ah, oh, sometimes I just struggle. Read Jeremiah. It's super easy to understand. Like, anybody can read Jeremiah and be like, oh, yeah, this makes complete sense to me. And he would write to God's people primarily, to the southern tribe, to the southern kingdom. You guys remember, you know, that there had come this point in time when Israel was one nation split up into two separate nations. They had a civil war. We talked about this many weeks ago. And by this time, the northern kingdom had been taken captive and been, had been dispersed and done away with by uh, foreign rulers called the Assyrians. And now the southern kingdom is under pressure and they feel the oppression of the Babylonians, these foreign kingdom. And Jeremiah prophesies like this. He's like, oh, yeah, we're going to be under the slavery, under the yoke of these foreign rulers. And his message wasn't always very popular because this is not going to be on the screen, but listen, this is, this is, kind, of, this is kind of the tone of what Jeremiah would say. Now, this is called, this is from, this is Jeremiah chapter 3, and you can just listen to this. It's Jeremiah chapter 3. And for 40 years, messages like this went on. God's message came to me as follows. Quote, if a man's wife walks out on him and marries another man, can he take her back as if nothing had happened? 
Wouldn't that raise a huge stink in the land? And isn't this what you have done? Hoard your way after God after God. Now he's talking to people. And now you want to come back to God as if nothing has happened. Look around at the hills. Where have you not had sex? Where have you not camped out like hunters stalking deer? You've solicited many God lovers. Like a street, this, like a street walking whore chasing after other gods. And so the rain, and, and as the rain has stopped, no more rain from the skies, but it doesn't even phase you. You are brazen as a whore who can carry on as if you've done nothing wrong. It goes on, that's, that's the Bible. Now that's the message, which is a little bit more of a paraphrase, okay? But that's Jeremiah chapter three. And that's the kind of message that he spoke to God's people. Like he wasn't speaking to, you know, in our vernacular, non-Christians. He wasn't speaking to non-Jewish people. These were the people of God. He's like, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 22, he uses a word. He says, God says to his people, you guys are backslidden. Like, you're not where you used to be. Remember the whole underwear scenario where it's like, you know, you used to be intimate and close with God, and you guys have walked back. Like, you've walked away from your relationship with God. You've backslidden. Sometimes as Christians, we have to wonder, ask yourself, huh, am I backslidden? Maybe I'm not as brazen as what Jeremiah is talking about. Maybe it's not quite that obvious. But to the Israelites or to the people in Judah, it was. It was like, you guys are so hard-hearted. Sometimes you don't even realize it. He's like, you've backslidden. He's like, in, our, in Jeremiah chapter 7, he's like, you guys, walk, you guys parade this on the streets. Like, you, you know, you're out in Jerusalem, you're on the city streets, you're everywhere, and you're kind of doing your crazy thing, and you guys aren't even ashamed or embarrassed that you're, that you're backslidden, that you're out sinning. You walk into the church on Sunday, you walk into temple, and then, you know, Monday through Saturday, you're not living out your faith. You're walking, you're talking, they don't even match. And you guys don't even, you're not even ashamed of it. Like, you're not even embarrassed by it. But you say you're the people of God. Why are you guys angry with God when he's not meeting your expectations? When, because God says, hey, I want to bless you so that you can do what? Be a blessing to everybody else. Not just you can hoard it all yourselves. And then you guys get angry with God because he's not blessing you the way that you think that he should be blessing you. Because you're out, in his words, whoring around. And you're not even ashamed of it. You know, in, um, in Haiti, you know, we've been, I've been to Haiti multiple times on missions trips. And, of course, we haven't been there because of all the unrest in the last several years and COVID, blah, blah, blah. And so, but um, in Haiti, they, uh, you know, Haiti rebelled against Christianity when it became its own country, whatever, long, long time ago, Right? And there had been slavery, and they rebelled against all that, became an independent nation. But the people that they were rebelling against were a lot of Christians. And they were like, well, if this is Christianity, I want nothing to do with Christianity. And so a lot of Haiti was founded upon voodoo principles. And so even to this day, you see a lot of witchcraft and a lot of voodoo things that take place in Haiti. And on what we call Good Friday, right, where we remember Christ going to the cross for us to pay the price for our sins, 
that we might have forgiveness of life, forgiveness and, and newness of life. When we remember Jesus going to the cross on Good Friday in Haiti, they don't call it Good Friday. They call it Rara. And it's an actual holiday. And they go out and they celebrate Christ going to the cross, Christ dying, Christ being, you know, punished and the pain and the suffering. And in Haiti, they call it rah-rah. And if, you're, if you happen to be in Haiti on rah-rah, it is like a crazy party, like orgies and wild sex and all kinds of crazy stuff like that all over the place. They're not remembering the payment of Christ. They're celebrating the, Christ, the fact that Christ was punished, that he was hurt, and, and that, that Satan was winning in their minds. They're celebrating all these things. And in Jeremiah, it's kind of like, well, you guys, you guys are maybe not quite that extent, but you guys go out and you guys do all these crazy things. And then you go to church on Sunday and act like everything is okay. And then you're like, God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you answering my prayer request? God, why aren't you hearing me? God, why don't I feel no, any intimacy with you? You're backslidden. In Jeremiah chapter 7, our passage for today, Jeremiah preached for 40 years. And guess how many people listen to Jeremiah? Zero. 40 years. I mean, I would have been bitter a long time ago with you guys if you didn't listen to me. Just so you know, I'm going to check out after about two weeks. So just kidding. Everybody watching online and whatever. So, so 40 years he goes and he speaks and nobody listens to Jeremiah. There's at one point, you know, uh, his family turns her back on him. His hometown people want, want, want to kill him. At one point, he's like, cursed is the day I died. Whoever brought the news to my father that a son had been born, cursed may they be. I wish I was never born. He's called the weeping prophet because his heart is just broken. Maybe because people don't listen to him, but his heart is broken because no one turns back to God. They just keep on doing their own thing. He's thrown into a, a cistern at one point in time. He's imprisoned at another point in time. He's beaten at another point in time. I mean, talk about a rough life. But faithfulness or success in God's kingdom doesn't look like people responding. It looks like being obedient to what God has called you to do. So Jeremiah struggles with God's people because they have been backslidden. And then they're complaining to God. You know, I thought about, um, about I, I titled the message Toxic Church. Because I thought about over the last couple of years, and I thought about disease and infections and things like that. And, you know, um, we're all much more sensitive today because of that, of course. And that's a good thing. But, you know, where is the place, one of the, one of the places where you're most likely to catch a life-threatening infection? Think about this for a second. Where is one of the places that you're most likely to catch a life-changing infection? Yeah. It's not the jungle. You know, it's not the mall. It's, it's, it's not the kindergarten room, right? It's the hospital. You know, this is according to the CDC. Now, this is because I, I think it's important that, you know, sometimes people say stuff all the time about the Internet and who knows where they got it. But according to the CDC, one out of every 31 people who go into the hospital will catch, it's called an HAI, a hospital-attained infection. One out of every 31 people, according to the, C, this, is two, this is 2018, okay, so prior, pre-COVID, one out of every 31 people 
will have a hospital-acquired infection. In other words, it wasn't there when you went into the hospital. According to the CDC, back in 2018, there were approximately 700, over 722,000 cases of a hospital-related infection. 722,000 infections. Guess how many people in 2018 died from a hospital-attained infection? Any guesses? Okay, no guesses. Over 75,000 people in 2018 died. Now, this is not me, and this is not made up, unless you don't believe the CDC, which that's up to you. But, you know, this is the CDC, right? This is the CDC that said this. 75,000 people. And so the analogy is this. Where can you catch a soul-infecting spiritual infection? Where's one of the places that you are most likely to catch a spiritual infection? Is it Vegas? No, not necessarily. Maybe, but, I, you know, no, not necessarily. Jeremiah would say one of the places where you can catch an infection that could threaten your life is actually in church, or he would say in the temple. Because what happens is, Monday through Saturday, we live our lives the way that we want to live our lives. Then we show up at church on Sunday, and we think, oh, everything is okay in my life spiritually. I'm fine, and nothing changes in my life. And we go out the rest of the week, we're like, well, I'm religious, but there's no relationship, there's no intimacy with Christ there. And you think by showing up at church week after week, like, oh, everything must be okay because I go to church. I show up at church. And that's what was happening in Jeremiah's time. So obviously 52 chapters, we're only going to focus on just a, just a small part of it. Jeremiah chapter 7, you can follow along here. And there's some fill-ins here in a moment that we'll get to. Jeremiah chapter 7, so all throughout the book of Jeremiah, a couple different times in particular, Jeremiah 7 and Jeremiah, I think, 26, Jeremiah would go and he, God would say, Jeremiah, I want you to go to the temple, go to the place of God's presence, and I want you to stand in the gate, stand where everybody's walking through, Jeremiah, and I want you to preach to everybody. I want you to be my spokesperson to everybody. So Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1 says this, says, the Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. This was happening all throughout his life. He said, Jeremiah, go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. Oh, Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Remember, Judah's the, the southern tribes. It's, the nation, of, it's, the, it's the, the nation of Israel, actually the nation of Judah at this point. Oh, Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it. All of you... Who worship here? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. And I highlight that. Listen, all of you who worship here. Jeremiah is addressing, or God is addressing, what I said, your first fill-in, is religious people. Right? They're showing up at the temple. Now, we don't know if this was one of the three times a year when everybody had to come to the temple. But all throughout the year, I mean, right, people are showing up at the temple. They're showing up at church to worship. You know, we read the book of Jeremiah, and you'll see about people. You know, the men were circumcised, Jeremiah chapter 9 says, but their hearts weren't circumcised. In other words, they really didn't have a relationship with God. 
They were going through outward, circum, outward ceremony and they were doing all the right religious things on the outside. They were circumcised. They made vows. They made sacrifices. They, they brought offerings to the temple. They were religious people, but they were backslidden. There was no relationship there between them and God. But they showed up week after week, not ashamed of what was going on. Listen, Jeremiah goes on and he says, God says through him, even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. Right? Because there was this pressure. They were feeling under the threat of this foreign kingdom. And they knew what would happen if they got overthrown. And God's like, listen, I'm going to be faithful to you. Will you turn, your e- turn from your evil ways? I know you guys are going through all the emotions. But would you hear my voice? Quit hiding. Your second fill, and I wrote this, that people are religious. The people, they were religious, but their talk didn't match their walk. They were super religious. But their talk, what they said, didn't match the way that they lived their life. There's lots of passages, and I wrote them at the bottom of your notes, so you'll have it in your notes. There's so many passages in the book of Jeremiah. We could spend an hour just talking through just these passages, but kind of, right, their hearts were hardened toward God, hearing his voice. They were blind to their own sin. They deliberately ignored God. When their talk and their walk didn't match, it's because they were blinded to their own sin. James 1.22, Jesus' brother James wrote the following words. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. You're only fooling yourself. You're not fooling God. And quite frankly, probably everybody else around you knows and sees what's going on in your life. For if you listen to the word and don't obey It is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you meditate on it, think about it, remember it, do what it says. says, James says, then God's going to bless you. Jeremiah 4, chapter 4, verse 10, you don't, It's not going to be on the screen, but Jeremiah writes about these false expectations. God's like, if you do these things, then this is going to happen. I will bless you. But we're like, oh, well, God, I just expect you to bless me. No if or then. I just got to expect you to do this. We have these false expectations and we get angry with God. We find ourselves sliding back further and further. Jeremiah goes on, again, chapter 7, says, God says, even now if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety. Part of the problem was they had religious leaders, priests and other prophets and other religious leaders who were saying, oh, don't worry about that sin in your life. Don't worry about having a hard heart. Don't worry about being back. Just show up at church. Just show up there. Everything is going to turn out all right. Don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. 
They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. The people listened to lying leaders, leaders that said what they wanted to hear. They listened to lying leaders. Jeremiah chapter 5 says this, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in this land. The prophets give false prophecies and the priests rule with an iron hand. Worse yet, my people like it that way. In the New Testament, kind of a similar passage in 2 Timothy, Paul says that people are going to look for people to say what they want to say. They're going to have itching ears to hear what they want to hear. Jesus, again, maybe in references to this in Matthew chapter 7, he kind of makes a similar statement. He says, not everybody who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, not everybody who says, oh, the temple is here, the temple is here, we're safe. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. On judgment day, the day when God is going to make accounts right, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. It's like, okay, Lord. How am I living my life? Am I pushing back against your word as you guide and as you direct me? Am I listening to lying leaders who tell me what I want to hear? Who tell me that my sin is okay? Jeremiah goes on, verse 5 says, But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and you start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners and orphans and widows only if you stop murdering, only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols, then I will let you stay in this land and I will give to, that I gave to you, your ancestors, to keep forever, forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, that you can lie, that you can burn insults to, to Baal or Baal and all those other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in the temple and chant, we're safe only to go right back to all those evils again? It's like, God, God's like, your relationships are a disaster. And you can come in, take communion. You can come in, lift up your hands, sing a few songs, throw some money in the offering on the way out, and, think, and then go right back to your evil ways. Have all of your relationships just be a disaster and think, oh, well, everything is okay. Don't you yourselves admit that this temple which bears my name has become a den of thieves? I can go hide my, I can go to church and hide my sin, pretend like I'm, it's not there. There's nothing wrong with my life. God says, surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then it gets really dicey. Verse 16, God says, Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. Stop crying and stop praying for them. Don't beg me to help them. I will not listen to you, Jeremiah. Don't you see what they're doing throughout the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? Remember that all this open, blatant, rebellious sin? No wonder I'm so angry. Watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires. It wasn't just the parents, but now their sin had become a family affair. It wasn't just the parents. It was the kids that were participating in this. And the parents were modeling and they were encouraging and they were bringing their kids and getting their kids involved in this sin. 
It's like, oh, well, I'm going to go live in sin. And I'm not going to discourage my kids from living in sin too. They're going to go out and do the same things that I've done. And I'm okay with it. Their sin had become a family affair. Jeremiah says, see how the women knead dough and make cakes to offer to this idol, this queen of heaven, this goddess. And they pour out liquid offerings to their other little idol gods. And am I the one they are hurting? Because like, well, of course not. Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. That fifth fill-in, God says, like, you hurt yourself. Like, I'm not telling you not to do these things so I'm going to rob joy from your life. When I go out and sin, it's myself that I'm hurting. And I just thought, of there's so many things, but as I was thinking this week, how does my sin hurt me? You know, when I find myself involved and stuck in sin and unrepentant, unconfessed sin in my life, and I find that when I read the Bible, it becomes unfruitful. I'm like, oh, this is just, I don't, I'm not getting anything out. I'm not understanding God. I don't hear your voice when you speak to me through the Bible. I find that it robs me of joy in my life and peace in my life. I feel like when I'm stuck in sin and, and I'm not dealing with it, confessing it, repenting of it, I find my intimacy with God feels stifled. I feel like when I my pray, my prayers just bounce off the ceiling and they just come back down. And God's not responding or hearing my prayer requests. I find when I'm stuck in sin, I become fearful, fearful that Jesus is going to come again or fearful that I'm going to die. When I have unrepentant, unconfessed sin in my life, God's like, it's just, you're just hurting yourself. Verse 24, my people would not listen to me. They keep doing whatever they wanted following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backwards. They were backslidden instead of forward. No wonder people don't want to listen to them. I mean, can you imagine seeing the temple listen to all this? From the day your ancestors left Egypt, God says, from now I, I have continued to send my servants, the prophets, day in and day out. But my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They've been stubborn and sinful and even worse, they are even worse than their ancestors. The last thing though, Gabe comes back up. The last thing, God reminds the people, and he reminds us this morning, that it's not too late. It's not too late to repent. It's not too late to turn back from him. It's not too late to say, God, would you search my heart? God, would you show me if I have unconfessed, unrepentance in my life, I don't want to be backslidden. I don't want to just show up to church and take communion and lift up my hands and sing songs and then go out and live my life the rest of the week, you know, without any kind of regard for you, God. It's not too late. Jeremiah 7, 3. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. My wayward children, come back to me and I will heal your wayward hearts. Last passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not being slow in doing what he's promised to come back, the way some people understand slowness, but God is being patient with you. God is being patient with me. He doesn't want me to be lost. He doesn't want you to be lost. He wants everyone to change their ways and to stop sinning. What are you saying to me this morning? God, 
You've given me a chance, an opportunity to speak to me, to draw me back into relationship with you. God, I want to trust you. I want to trust you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your people. Those that are here this morning and those that are watching online, Father, thank you for speaking to us. God, would you reveal yourself to us this morning through these simple words, through your word. Holy Spirit, we know we don't have the strength on our own to change, but we want to look to you and trust in you and ask for you to heal our hearts and to turn us back towards you. If you have any unconfessed or unrepentant sin in your life this morning, allow God to speak to you about that. God is patiently waiting for you this morning. He's waiting for you. You can trust him. You can trust him. He's waiting for you to turn back to him this morning. In Jesus' name.